Well, hello, and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, the third in a sort of series um, dealing with, I suppose, reflecting on um, the photo book publishing industry. First week, we looked at big publishers. Second week, we looked at boutique publishers. This week, we're going to look at independent publishers, basically yourselves, self-publishing. And let's get this out of the way, I suppose, from the beginning. There was a time when such publishing, where you were paying to be published, was referred to as vanity publishing. The idea, of course, was that the only reason why you were paying for your own work to be published was because nobody else thought that it was good enough to risk money on or to publish. Obviously, that's changed now. We're in a different environment. And in fact, I suppose a lot of people now would actually prefer to independently publish, uh, reflecting upon a number of the issues that I've spoken about over the previous week's podcasts. Now, what does that really mean? Well, the same questions that a big publisher is going to ask of a book, um, you've got to ask of yourself. Uh, Audience, who's going to buy it? Distribution, how are you going to sell it? Printing, where are you going to get it done? And how much is it going to cost? And of course, how many of these books are you going to get published? And how much do you expect to sell them for? So there's a very straightforward business plan that needs to be created by yourself. The same kind of business plan that would be created by a larger or boutique publisher. So you're not escaping that realisation. Of course, what you can do is avoid asking yourself the difficult questions. And I would suggest that that's where the problems start. So really, I suppose, two ways of funding the book. One, self-financing, seeing what you can afford and whether or not you're willing to invest that money. In that case, of course, the return on your investment has to be resolved and honest from the very beginning. Second way of crowdsourcing, finding ways of getting other people to invest in your dream in return for various forms of um, reward. Uh, Tom Broadbent, a photographer based in London, um, wrote and and took everybody uh, involved in the project that he was working on his book at home with the fairies in great detail and so do check out tom broadbent's blog um to find out about that um another person who i think handles this crowdsourcing extremely well is actually our guest on this podcast bluecoat press seem incredibly successful uh in raising funds for their photographers but you'll hear from uh, from colin in a short time I suppose what we're really talking about here is honesty and realism. There is absolutely no point in creating a thousand books that you can't sell. There's no point spending a huge amount of money on a project which doesn't have an audience. I heard something uh, recently, a photographer who'd spent an awful lot of money on a project. Um, He had all the photographs. Um, And he was getting rejected from publishers and was starting to feel really down about the whole process. I have to say that if I'd have spoken to that photographer at the beginning of their project, if I'd have had the opportunity to kind of discuss with him the realities of it getting published or even him finding an audience, um, 
perhaps he wouldn't have gone ahead with the project at all in that form. I spoke to another photographer recently who said to me that the reason they wanted to do the book was for the community that they were photographing. I said, well, that's fine. But what about if I said to you, go and give £25 to every person in that community? Would you be willing to do it? There was a little bit of a silence then. Of course, that idea of giving is a wonderful, um, I suppose, uh, desire. But the reality is, is more complex than that as to why do you want a book? I've spoken previously about the idea of when we're always working digitally, when we don't have something physical to actually say, yes, I have been working hard. I have been doing this thing. The book becomes that artifact. It becomes that proof. There is no doubt that the easiest way of selling a book, if you're going to self-publish, is by selling it to the community you've already developed or either around the project through constantly updating, blogging through Instagram, through Twitter, showing all the work and bringing people on board with that. That's one way of doing it. The other way is to actually produce a book for a community that you're documenting. That's much harder. Presumably, the people who are engaged in that community on social media or via your website are interested in photography, the process, the work you're creating. Quite often, the people that you're photographing as a community, it's not really their priority. The book, the photography, is nice, but it's not the the bread and butter over there every day. It doesn't hold the importance in their life that it holds in yours. So we really need to think about these things. I suppose also what we also need to, to consider is why does this book need to exist? There are so many photo books out there. And in this week's uh, Podcast Plus, uh, I actually outline a list of all the different places you can go to to find out just how many are being published. There can be no doubt that we don't need all of those photo books. There are some photo books we need. There are some photo books that we really don't. Is that photo book going to be a marketing tool for you? Is that its reason for existence? Is it because you want to actually kind of position yourself as a photographer in a different way or within a different community? That's another reason for it to exist. Somebody else, another photographer I saw commenting recently said the reason for, was for the photo book was to do themselves proud and not to lose money. Yeah, that's fine, but there's a lot more involved in making sure that those two things occur from the beginning. It takes a lot of work and research. So independent photo book publishing. We know why it now happens. It happens because we can get things relatively easily printed digitally. We can now market online. We don't need to get them in shops. We can sell one, two, three uh, copies of a book relatively easily. If our community is evolved, if we have that ready audience waiting to buy into that book, and those are the things you really need to consider, just how 
much hard work is involved in ensuring that that book gets out there. So independent photo book publishing, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Or is it just where we are? Well, I think it's just where we are and it can be both good and bad. There is no doubt it's a reflection on where publishing is on the larger scale and, and on that medium scale that I spoke about last week. Is it a last resort? Should it be a last resort? Well, maybe. Maybe your work has been rejected by other publishers for really good reasons. Maybe it hasn't. There are no 2 plus 2 equals 4 additions, sums in photography. You're really going to have to do your research and think about that. Audience and expectation. Audience and expectation. Those are the two things which are going to define whether or not your book is a success. Not just creatively, but more importantly, perhaps, for you, commercially. I just mentioned that we've got somebody coming on this week from Blue Coat Press. Uh, Colin Wilkinson is going to tell us this week what photography means to him. And it kind of seems to make sense to me to finish this little mini-series on photo book publishing with a photo book publisher. So in 1973, Colin Wilkinson uh, founded the Open Eye Project in Liverpool, England, that directly led to the Open Eye Gallery opening in 1977. He pulled together a largely inexperienced small group of people and made 16mm films about community festivals before engaging community groups in making short videos. The project expanded and he acquired a derelict ex-public house, a pub, in the centre of Liverpool on the basis of a six-month lease, which became a 10-year-long residency. This gave him space to expand his vision of a community facility offering film, video, photography and sound recording. In 1982, he set up a commercial photographic company and in 1992, he founded Blue Coat Press, specialising in local history books with a high photographic content and published, and he published, over 200 books until the 2008 financial crisis. Colin assessed his situation and decided that he would have to concentrate on a niche market he had the greatest interest in, and so became a photo book specialist. Since 2012, Blue Coat Press has specialised in publishing the work of British photojournalists and social documentary photographers, including John Bulmer, Rob Bremner, Peter Dench, Bert Hardy, Jim Mortram, Tish Murtha, Paul Trevor, Nick Hedges, Hugh Hood and Patrick Ward. There are certainly a few names uh, you'll recognise there from previous podcasts. It is hard to imagine my life without photography. In my time, I've established a gallery, commissioned photography and published numerous books. My day-to-day -day work is all about looking at images, selecting photographers and funding and publishing their work. But I'm not a photographer and have never aspired to be one. I'm driven by other motivations. I was born in 1948, three months before the National Health Service was founded. My childhood was spent in Sheffield, an industrial northern city where the buildings were soot blackened and the sky would turn orange from the many steelworks. 
We didn't have television and I read avidly and I worked my way through Charles Dickens at the local library before I discovered the work of Henry Mayhew, a chronicler of mid-19th century London, who wrote about the lives of London's poor at a time when the profound effect of the Industrial Revolution was filling the city with migration from towns and rural areas across Britain. His accounts of street sellers, sewermen, mudlarks, criminals and other characters were written to a large extent in their own voices. And this was a revelation to me and changed my whole understanding of how history was told. At school, history was essentially that of the Romans, Norman Castles, Tudor and Stuarts. Mayhew was a revelation. I studied social administration at university and over the next three years, I spent time in old people's homes, including an old workhouse, which still housed what were then called down and out, homeless alcoholics who spent their day wandering round Castle Market in the city centre, and also in Crewe's mental health service, a dispiriting time when the older sounds were being closed down in favour of care in the community. After university, I spent the next year working first in a factory making Yorkshire pudding mix, and then as a cemetery worker. But with winter approaching, it was not the time to be a grave digger, and I realised I had to do something else with my life. I moved to London to train as a teacher, and I taught for two years in the College of Further Education, at a time when day release students had an extra two days foisted on them for liberal studies. They resented this unnecessary addition to their day, and I understood perfectly. I approached the problem by showing classic documentary films which were available for a small fee. At the time, I was reading about the use of film in education and came across a Canadian Challenge for Change programme, a government initiative to give voice to minority communities. The work was mainly film-related, but it did give me the inspiration to try my hand at setting up a similar project in Liverpool. I quit my job and, with no money or prospect, set up Merseyside Visual Communications Unit, later known as Open Eye. This was in 1973, and within a few years, and thanks to job creation projects which allowed me to take on a small staff, we'd made two 16mm films about community festivals and had started experimenting with the new portal video recorders, involving community groups in recording what was important to them. Photography had not been part of the project at that point, but in 1976 we moved to a disused public house in the centre of Liverpool, which was in a poor state but offered three floors of space, including ground floor bars right by the main city bus terminus. Initially, the ground floor was used as a cinema, while upstairs we built dark rooms, film editing suites and a sound recording studio, which, which recorded virtually all the Liverpool bands at the time. The problem with the cinema space was that it was only used in the evenings and a change of use to a photography gallery was a logical step. The first exhibition was by a local photographer, Colin Thomas, of his work with teenagers in Halewood, a suburb just outside Liverpool's borders. It was a perfect start, giving a platform to the community to show their daily lives, concerns and hopes. It was amateurish, but the journey had begun. So where has this taken me? I started out with Mayhew and his brilliant evocation of London in the mid-19th century. The stories of the poor and oppressed resonated and made me realise how little we hear from those in the community without a voice. This has determined my approach to all my work over the past 40 years. 
After I left OpenEye in 1982, I gradually moved into publishing. When I decided to publish photography books, I only had one focus, and that was social documentary photography. My books include photographers such as Jim Mortram, Tish Mercer, Zach Waters and Rob Bremner, all with important stories to tell. Their work educates us as how we function as a society. One lesson I learnt on my social administration degree was that society must be judged on how it treats those in need. Photography holds a mirror to us. That is why it's so important to publish a work so voices are heard. The current acclaim for Jim Mortram's Small Town Inertia at the inspiring side gallery is proof to me that there is a growing audience for such work. I started out by saying I'm not a photographer and have never felt that essential drive to carry a camera around with me. What I'm doing is something I believe is important and something which I have the acquired skills to carry out. There are photographers, there are curators and commissioners and there are publishers and we all play our part. Thanks very much, Colin, for your contribution this week. I wonder how many photography podcasts out there there are that deals with Mayhew, Yorkshire Pudding Mix and Grave Digging. Anyway, we certainly seem to. Important, I think, there to pick out of Colin's um, kind of history of what he's done and kind of why he does what he does now. Um, That point of audience, of believing that there is an audience, and I really um, believe in that as a key factor in why a photo book should exist. So please think about the audience before you think about publishing. If there's no audience, there's no need for the book. Uh, Going on from that, uh, last week I spoke about the fact that we've now created Podcast Plus, which uh, for a very small fee, less than a a cappuccino a month, um, you can access all kinds of extra information Um, also uh, links to go to and so forth, following up from the conversation in this week's podcast. I suppose really why that came about as an idea was because um, it just occurred to me that people talk about finding things on Google. Well, you can only find things on Google if you know what to search for. And therefore, the opportunity to share with you some of my uh, knowledge about... um, places to go, things to see, uh, articles to read uh, following up from the discussion points uh, this week seem to me a way of going deeper into the subject and going going deep seems to be a phrase I'm hearing a lot at the moment. So that's available on the Patreon uh, platform. Do please support us. Um, everything I do, I do for free and give away for free. This is the one thing that we charge a very minimal nominal amount of money for so i really hope you join us there uh that's it for book publishing this summer next week we'll get back to dealing with um who knows what kinds of subjects but i know that whatever we deal with we'll definitely take care (laughs) 